many of you know, and some of you, if it's your first time, you can tell I'm not from South Africa. I grew up in Northeast Texas, Southwest Arkansas, uh, but my family and I have lived here now since 2017. And since 2017, there is something that I have found so fascinating and, and so interesting when it comes to living uh, in two separate countries. Sometimes there are some challenges when it comes to living in two different countries. When we first moved to South Africa in 2017, I, I began to notice a real big difference between South Africa and the great country of Texas. Um, one of the things that I began to notice very quickly is that personal space is defined differently. I, I was even reminded of it this week, just like a couple of days ago. We have some wonderful friends visiting us, and I want to acknowledge them uh, from the States. Some of my wife's co-workers that are therapists. Uh, would you give it up real fast for Miss Pam and Mr. Brian who are visiting with us? Thank you. They are therapists from the States that are here to help us this week at RFK uh, with our kiddos that are going to be here. And it was so funny. We got on an elevator <laughs> and <laughs> another gentleman stepped on the elevator and he like stood right here in front of Miss Pam, like if this was the guy. And I, I saw her face that was like, she like stepped over here, <laughs> like, you know. It was one of the things I noticed when I first moved here. Personal space is defined differently. Here, if I'm at the grocery store and I need a bag of rice and the lady is standing in front of the aisle in front of the rice, it's okay for me to reach in and grab the rice. <laughs> it's cool. If it's real busy, I might even say sorry and reach in and grab the rice. It's totally fine. It's not like that in the States. <laughs> See there, if I'm needing to get the bag of rice and there's a lady or a man or someone in front of that rice, what I have to do is act like I'm looking at something else. Because <laughs> we don't want to mess with their bubble, right? <laughs> so you act like you're looking at something else when you're really not and you're just waiting for them to move, you know, and if they don't move, you're like, come on, man, get out of the way. You don't say that. And if they don't move, you actually won't even reach in and get what you need. You will go find something else that you need and then come back later, hoping that that person has moved. I'll never forget. 2019, we lived in South Africa for two years. We moved back to America to work on visas and all of that stuff again. And we were in a grocery store. <laughs> And we were in this grocery store, and I told one of my kids, we were walking by an aisle, and I'm pretty sure it was rice. I was like, hey, go over there and grab a bag of rice. <laughs> I don't remember which child, and I'm not going to say which one, because if I use their name in an illustration, I owe them 50 rands. So I don't use their names now. <laughs> That's the agreement that we have, right? I can't remember which one it was, honestly. And I asked him, I said, hey, please run over there real fast, grab that rice, and come back. Right? There was no one else on the aisle. The lady is standing right in front of the rice looking at it. Straight up, my kid goes over there right in front of her face, grabs what they need, and comes back. And they're just like, do, 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 you know, like they don't. Because they've been living in South Africa. They're, they're South Africans almost now, right? Kid you not, the lady turns and goes super caring on them. 
and literally makes the noise of like, ugh. And I looked at her and I kind of made a joke because that's what I do when I'm feeling uncomfortable. I, I made a joke. I was like, sorry, we've been living in Africa. <laughs> because here's, here's the reality. I couldn't say South Africa because Americans, please forgive me, we're geographically stupid. So <laughs> I could have said I've been living in South Africa and she would have been, cool, what country is that in? Okay. That is the country, South Africa. It's a country. Personal space is defined different for us between those places. Even here, it doesn't matter if we're at the store, if we're driving, we don't like the space, right? Like I've gotten used to that. If I'm standing in line in a queue and someone doesn't move up, I'm like, wait, come, come on, man, let's go, right? I got to love it. People will come by me in the store and they have a mask on and I'm like, your mask won't help if we're rubbing cheeks together, right? Like, excuse me, I'm like, don't know if the mask is going to work. We define space and personal space different, and I've come to like it to where I'm like, you know, if that's what I need, I want to fill the empty space. I don't like the empty space. This month, for the whole month of October, we're starting a new series that I am so excited about, and it is called 40, The Space Between. We begin this series this morning, and reality is, even though we may not like the space, sometimes the space between is necessary. What do we mean by this in this series? Well, in the Bible, 40 days and 40 nights, or even 40 years, is often representative of a period of time that is the space between. We could call it the, the incubation period or the space between the promises of God and the fulfillment of that promise. We could call the space between a time of testing, if you will. And really, the space between happens more frequent than not. Because you see, the reality is, uh, it's not the mighty moments of life the miraculous moments of life that we struggle to live in. It's the mundane, the ordinary, the day-to-day -day grind that wears on us. It's the space between. So this month, we're going to learn by looking at different stories in the Bible that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. We're going to learn how to navigate life in those moments where we are in the space between. You're going to see this month that God has a purpose for the space between. This morning, we're going to start this series off by uh, looking at a scripture in the Bible that teaches something powerful as it relates to this idea of 40 days. This morning, we're going to look at the battles that we face in life. 1 Samuel, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 17 Verses two through four. Maybe you've heard this story. I hope you haven't. I hope you have. But God is gonna speak to us, I believe, this morning and encourage us. The Bible says this. It says, Saul and the Israelites assembled and they camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. 
His height was six cubits and a span. It's important for us to understand in biblical history what's happening and where we are in the thread of biblical history. Saul is the king of Israel. He's the first king of Israel. And in this story, we see the king Saul, he is leading the troops to fight the Philistines. And the Bible says that they're camped on either side of a valley with the valley in between them. And the the battle lines are drawn up and there's this man named Goliath who comes out. The Bible says Goliath was six cubits and a span. Now, we read that and we're like, okay, great. What does that mean? Okay, so back in the day, a cubit was measured from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger, okay? And then a span was measured from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your point, uh, your pinky finger. And so as you can tell, uh, a, a, a person's height would be uh, dependent upon a person's arm and hand. But most scholars believe Goliath was anywhere from two meters to three meters tall. He was a big dude. Every time I look at Emmanuel, I think Goliath, my man. Swole, I love it. Goliath was a big guy. Not only that, when you continue to read the story, his armor alone weighed over 50 kilograms. His armor. The Bible tells us that the tip of his spear weighed almost seven kilograms. He was a fighting machine. This man was a warrior. Look at what happens in the story, verses 8 through 11 and verse 16. It says, Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Catch that the questions he's asking. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and you will serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Remember that phrase. I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 16 tells us, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening, and he took his stand. For 40 days he took his stand right here. I have a picture for you this morning of the Valley of Elah. It's really cool because if you can imagine where this picture is taken from is most likely the spot where the Israelite army pitched their tents and they camped every single night. They looked out over the valley and every single morning as they got up, they would hear once again in that valley, this giant of a man named Goliath who would come out and taunt and defy them. Imagine day seven of the battle. You wake up early, you get your coffee going, you're just getting awake. You're like, all right, guess I'm going to put my my armor today. And you hear it again, and you wonder, is that the same guy? He's out there again. Forty days. Forty days of endless morning and night taunting and defiance from Goliath. 
and Saul, the king, the, the one that the Bible says stood head and shoulders above everyone else, he should have been the one going out to fight Goliath. He sat for 40 days in cowardice while the enemy taunted and defied the army of Israel. Something we must understand is that the taunt and the defiance of Goliath, it wasn't simply an insult to the leader Saul or even the army itself. Rather, it was a defiance of God. How do we know? Well, what Goliath is doing is not unusual. Back in this time, in this day, it was very, very normal when two armies would go out to fight that they would send one representative from each army to fight one another first. And then the one that won that battle, it was believed that their God or gods were on their side, okay? So they would always send out their strongest warrior first to kind of set the stage for how the battle is going to go. That's why Brad Pitt went out first. Remember that? Okay. (laughs) The army of Israel went out every day for 40 days. We see later in this story, and I hope you'll go back and read this entire chapter in your daily 20 this week as you're studying your Bible this week. Read this whole chapter. But we see later that they went out every single day and they did the usual battle cry. They did all the stuff, but the Bible says they were terrified and they were deeply shaken. They carried on the show every day for 40 days. Saul even goes as far to avoid the problem and says, you know what? Hang on. I know what I'll do. I will offer whoever will fight this guy. I will exempt them and their family from taxes. Come on, somebody. Not only that, I will give the guy my most beautiful daughter in marriage. For real. I can imagine all of the salesmen soldiers at day 21 being like, man, they're getting ready, you know, Goliath's coming out. And the one guy's like, man, you know what I heard? (laughs) They're hiking up those interest rates and taxes. (laughs) If only there was a way to get out of not paying taxes, you know. (laughs) They're looking at all of their friends being like, you should go fight Goliath. All of the salesmen soldiers begin to rise up that day. No one responded to Saul's gimmicks. The gimmicks weren't working. The show wasn't working. The yelling and the hollering of the usual battle cry, it did not shake Goliath on day 20, on day 25, day 30, day 35, day 38. Nothing shook him. This was a battle with no end in sight. And today, this morning, I'm here to talk to just a few people that I think this morning are going through battles in life. You're going through family battles and work battles. You're going through relationship issues. You love Jesus, but you're going through addiction battles as well. You're going through battles right now in your present about your future and wondering, God, what is to, to happen next? You're going in battles of fear and anxiety in your life. You have physical health battles. You keep showing up every day, putting on the armor, doing the stuff, but yet nothing seems to change. Am I talking to anybody this morning? 
the battle continues on and there's no end in sight. You're in the space between. You're there and you're wondering, what now? What do we do? Much like Saul in the army of Israel looking out every day over this valley and saying, what now? Because reality was they had a bunch of giant watchers, but no giant killers. A lot of people that wanted to watch the giant, but no one wanted to step up. And what happens? Along comes a young shepherd boy named David. The Bible tells us that David is the youngest son of a man named Jesse. He's the youngest son. That's important. I got any youngest in the room. Raise your hand if you're the youngest of the family. Yeah, there's one. Okay, woo, there we go. Yes. I will have your trophy for all of you when we end today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can place your special order for donuts. No. I'm kidding. David is the youngest of a man named Jesse. His three older brothers are out with the army. They are here. They are getting ready to fight. Jesse looks at his son David on night 39 while David's at home. And he tells him, hey, I want you to take this food tomorrow morning and go give it to your brothers Give them some lunch. Give them brunch, maybe. Maybe they liked brunch. I don't know. Go give them this food, and I want you to find out how they're doing and come back and tell me how things are going. I want you to check in on them. It's amazing. David was the first ever Uber Eats delivery boy. <laughs> Man. Mr. D food right there. Get it? Woo! That's a good one. I just came in. That's all he was. He was a delivery boy. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're introduced to David. It says this in verse 20. Early, everybody say early. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. Woo. He loaded up and he set out as Jesse had directed. I, I don't have a ton of time. But even as I was reading this again this morning, I, I look at and think about the boy's preparations. He didn't know yet he was going to be the future king. He doesn't know. God knows. Because of this. Because, man, I wish I had time. The little things matter. Little things matter. Some of us want to be giant slayers, but we can't even be trusted with lunch. Help me, Jesus. Little things matter. You want to be the CEO of the company, show up to work before you're expected to be there. You want God to bless you financially and prosperously, then why, why don't we allow God to move our hearts now when we have little and show that we will be generous and faithful even when we have much? The little things, whew, they matter. <clears throat> Thank you, David, for teaching us that. Early in the morning, see, he had already made preparations the night before. He had already taken another shepherd and said, hey, man, I need you to make sure you check in on my sheep. I need you to take care of them. I got to go take care of my brothers. You see, he prepared. 
He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and he ran to the battle lines and he asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, day 40, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Verse 26 says, David asked the man, the men standing near him, what would be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I told you to remember earlier what Goliath had said. And David teaches us something here. In the battles that you face right now, we must recognize the attack of the enemy on identity. It's an attack on identity. David is the first in the story to acknowledge that Goliath wasn't just defying Saul. He wasn't just defying the army of Israel. No, 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 no. He was defying the armies of the living God. David's the first one in this entire story. Go back and read it. That records those words. He's the first recorded person to recognize that Goliath's 40-day taunt was an attack on the identity of God's people. Because you see, Israel, when you understand your Bible and you understand the Old Testament, the people of Israel had a very clear identity and purpose from God, dating all the way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis. God uses this phrase, for my name's sake, multiple times, time and time again in the Old Testament. You see, Israel was to declare the character of God to the nations around them. Israel had a purpose that they were to proclaim that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was the living God. He wasn't an idol or a statue or a fantasy. No, 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 but he was the living God. God. And it wasn't until the shepherd boy David came around and he understood this authority and identity that Israel possessed. David saw something because, see, Goliath and all of the Philistines, they wanted to annihilate Israel. They were an enemy that was set on destruction. Can I tell you, church, we have an enemy as well. It's important for us to understand who Satan is, the devil, and all of his fallen angels with him. They hate you. They are set on destroying you. Why? Pastor Randy alluded to it a few weeks back. Because you are an image bearer of the one that Satan could not be. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are adopted into the family of God. You bear his name. You have an enemy called Satan, the devil, and his sole purpose is to annihilate you. Now understand, he is not equal to God. Don't give the devil more credit than is due. He cannot see all of time. Satan does not know your tomorrow. He doesn't know. 
only God himself is not bound by time. He is transcendent is what the Bible teaches us. He is not bound by time. Only God himself, the true God, the living God, is the one who sees all things and knows all things. Now, here's what Satan and all of his fallen angels with him, demons, if that, what, which they are really called, here's what they do know. They have been watching the patterns of human behavior in history for millennia, since the beginning of time. Satan and all of his fallen angels, all they want to do is stop you from telling the story of God's love to keep you from bringing honor and glory to your creator. That's their sole purpose. You have an enemy. But you have another enemy as well. (laughs) It's an enemy that wants to strip you of your true identity as a child of God. And as the old saying goes, we can become our own worst enemy. Old thought patterns and thought distortions will lie to us. Situations and scenarios that have been imprinted on us from our childhood can cause us to doubt our true identity. Pastor Aaron, what do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about? Well, it's the grown man who was continually criticized by his father and he comes to believe I am only as good as I am successful at work. It's the teenage girl who comparing herself to the mirage of Instagram and TikTok comes to believe I am ugly and I am unworthy of love. Help us God. It's the entrepreneur whose prior business failed after after the betrayal of the partner and now believes I just can't trust anyone. I can't trust anyone. It's the lady who was raised by an angry perfectionist mother who outside looking in, it was all beautiful and glamorous and oh, they're so wonderful. And now decades later, she still believes I must be perfect to be loved. Don't believe or accept the lies of the enemy, whether they are inflicted by Satan or inflicted by self. Notice in the story, David heard Goliath. He wasn't the first one. The army had heard Goliath for 40 days. He was the first one to hear the enemy and respond. He was the first one to hear the enemy lying and spitting out lies to the people of God. He was the first one to be affected and moved into action. David was the first one to say, man, hold up. Who is this guy? Who's this guy talking smack up here? I love it. And because he was young, his voice probably cracked when he said it. We'll get there. Who is that guy? Children of God, as a follower of Jesus, recognize your identity. Listen, you are loved unconditionally. 
You are accepted and you are approved. Young lady, you are the apple of your heavenly father's eye. And he says, I created you beautiful. I created you perfect. And I created you with a purpose. And I love you no matter what. You're set apart for purpose. You're meant to live a life of worship and surrender to your creator. Church, we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As you come this week and you face the battles of life, recognize the attack of the enemy on your identity. Replace that with the truth of Jesus Christ. Even David had to do it in Psalm 103. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. What was Sometimes I have to look at Aaron and say, Aaron, that's not true. That's not what God says about you. Sometimes we have to look at ourselves and say, self, that may be what happened in my past, but it is not my present because the Bible tells me that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And then it says in 1 John chapter 4, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in thee. Woo, come on church. You have identity as a child of God. David recognized this. He recognized this was an attack on God's people. It was an attack on identity. And so David asked the question, who is this guy? Who is this guy? What's going on? I love it. Verse 31 says this, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, (laughs) let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. He's a boy. Saul replied, you're not able to go out and fight against this Philistine. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Do you know, most scholars believe David was anywhere from 12 to 15 years old at this time. It took a young man, not quite a boy, a young man, to solve a national crisis. If we have any 12-year-olds that can fix ESCOM, just let us know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Joe, I shouldn't. Just saying. That's the equivalent. It's a national crisis. Saul says, you're only a boy. This guy's been fighting since before you were born. This battle is too much for you. You don't have the skills. That's sweet, but you don't have the qualifications. You don't have the age. The enemy is too great for you. There's no way. I love young David's response. He teaches us how we fight our battles. Cracking voice and all. You know, I... I've always heard this preach and I've read this next passage as like, Warrior David. He's not Warrior David. He's shepherd boy, 12 to 15 years old, David. (laughs) He's Mr. D delivery, David. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or even a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it down and rescued the sheep from its mouth. 
When it turned on me, I, I would seize it by its hair. I'd struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, this is it right here, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Church. What we may read and interpret as a cocky little boy with an arrogant statement is something profound. And he will teach us today how to fight our battles. We must recount the rescues. We must recount every single rescue. See, young David says, I remember that God, all the things that he has delivered me from. I remember, King Saul, when there was no army to watch. There was no one to impress. It was just me and the few sheep that my daddy gave me the responsibility to watch. I remember when there was no army, there was no stage, there was no one watching. I can remember those times. And then the lion came and I was the only one. I had to do something in that moment. And God rescued me from the lion. And then I remember another day, man, I was just playing my harp, writing down some music because he was an artist. That's what he did. And all of a sudden, rawr, a bear comes out. And God rescued me from the bear as well when it was just me and the sheep. Nobody else. No nation to lead. No throne to have. No army watching behind. Just me and the sheep. an important Bible study tool for you to use is to look for words that are repeated in the Bible in a particular passage of scripture. I never noticed this, but this word rescue is repeated just in this passage over and over and over again. The word rescue here is a very, very strong word in the Hebrew language, and it paints the picture of an individual who is helpless and cannot deliver himself or herself in a very oppressive situation. Rescue. Recount the rescue. Our God is a God of rescue. We read about it in the Bible. We sang about it this morning. For Joseph, he rescued him from his brother's plot to kill him. For Moses and the children of Israel, he split the sea wide open for them so that they could walk across on dry ground. He rescued them. For Jonah, Jonah was thrown out of the boat because he was running from God, and God still reached his hand down and rescued Jonah. We sang about it this morning. There were the three Hebrew boys who were put into a furnace, and there was no way out. But God said, nope, I want to rescue them. And then the Bible Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever will believe in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Our God is a God of rescue. Sometimes we have to recount to ourselves the moments in life when God has rescued us. As a follower of Jesus, he has rescued your soul. 
You have eternal life with God through Jesus Christ and your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you. He rescued us. I don't know about you, but he chased me down with his great love. He passionately pursued me with his love, even when I turned my back on him time and time again and said, I don't want that. I don't want that life. I don't want to be about that stuff. He still continued to pursue. And through all of the failures of life, he rescues. Through all of our insecurities, he rescues. Through all of our pride and our arrogance, he rescues. We have to recount the rescue God. You've got to remind yourself what he's done, church. I've seen him touch my children over and over again in life. I've felt the presence of his peace in the middle of the night when I was ready to give up and be like, dude, I'm done. Rescued. Church, we've seen him provide a miracle even in this building. I don't know if we, like, we were sitting up there at that location, about to run out of a lease, and we were like, God, we don't even know what to do. What do we do now? Rescue. Our God is a God of rescue. I felt the Lord impress on my heart so strong to tell you this morning that the strength for your current battle comes from your ability to recount the victories of the past. The strength for what you need right now the battles that you're facing in your home, in your work, in your life, all, all the things that we have going on, the strength for that, the spiritual strength, the physical and emotional strength that you need from that, it comes from your ability to recount the victories of the past in your mind. I know I got this coming up, God, and I need you to be, be, be a provider for me, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but I can remember how you did it back then. Recount his rescue, church. David just believed that the one who had done it before, he was going to do it again. Look at verse 45 through 47. This is what David says now to Goliath. It's amazing. <laughs> the boy, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. Look at this. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. We love it. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Amen. Here we see the motivation of David and it would be the motive for the rest of his life. The battles that we face aren't for our glory, but they are for a lost world to come to a loving God. It's the whole purpose of what David is saying to us here is that the battle is the Lord's. It's for his glory. Listen, when you understand your Bible, a chapter before this, which was probably a few years before this, David was anointed the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. 
He didn't even realize what was happening there. So, so look, David's words to the Philistine wasn't, to Goliath, it wasn't, I'm going to defeat you so everyone knows I'm awesome. I'm going to be the next king. It's already been anointed. Here I am. Look at me. That's not what he said. He didn't say anything about himself, did he? He didn't draw any glory to himself, did he? Nope. He said, it's so that the world will know that there is a God in Israel. Not only that, look at it. He, he also said, so that everyone here. He wasn't talking about the Philistines because they were all going to be dead. <laughs> He's talking about the army of Israel. These guys who have been scared, these men who have been scared, this king who has been a coward for the last 40 days, they're going to know that we serve the, and we are the armies of the living God. They're going to know. You see, church, the battles we face, they aren't for our glory, but they are for a lost world to come to a loving God. David said that the observers that were there, that they would reap a benefit. We can't talk about a battle in the Old Testament without understanding the nuance and the, 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 the implications of a battle that has been won for you and I. You see, for us as New Testament believers, the story doesn't end back there with David killing Goliath. And by the way, sometimes the battles are messy. I, I just want to be real. Can you imagine 12-year-old shepherd boy David dragging the Goliath of a man, <laughs> his head, down the road? Because the Bible says that he hit him with the stone, knocked him down. He used his own sword to cut off his head. And then he took that head and he drug it all the way back to Jerusalem. Sometimes our stories are a bit messy. Sometimes the battles can get a little weird and crazy, if we're honest. The reason for that was because God was showing that he was the true living God. You and I today, as New Testament believers, as believers who are in the time of existence beyond Jesus Christ and, and how Christ has come and he has given his life for us on the cross like we talked about this morning in communion. Not only did he die for our sins, but he came back to life three days later proving I am exactly who I said I was. It says this in Revelation chapter one in verse 18, the last book of the Bible, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. That is the grave. Church, Jesus holds the keys of death and the grave. How? Because he's the only one to experience death and resurrection life. Romans chapter eight tells us this, says who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So what battle can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship? No. Persecution or famine? No. Can nakedness or danger or sword? No. Can political unrest? No. Can floods? No. Can famine? No. None of these things can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors, church. This is our battle cry, okay? in the battles that you face right now, no matter what that battle may be, I know it's tough and I don't wanna invalidate your feelings. I know it's hard. I know it just really stinks. (laughs) But can I tell you, you are already victorious. Oh, you've already won. And it's not because of anything you and I have done. That's the beauty of following Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of what it means to be a Christian. It's not because of us, but it is through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. You are victorious. 